10 years. Oh my. We're taking a break from Mark, which is what we normally do is go through a book of the Bible. We, we do that verse by verse and go through and we're taking our time this morning to step back and think about this body and 10 years of grace. Because it is literally this week that it's been 10 years and I figured it out. Um, We started in the little museum hall right around the corner here, and it was so amazing to see how the Lord has brought us, and we are still proclaiming Christ. But I figured it out that that it's been 500 times that I've stood up here and talked to you. So if you don't know the message by now, I think I should give up. (laughs) But maybe you haven't been here as long. Or the conviction that we have, why we keep proclaiming this message, is that it gets leached out of us day by day by the world, by the devil, by our own flesh. And we come back again to this place, gathered together in worship and singing songs, gathering around this incredible book that is God's book to tell us again about Jesus. One of the things, I'll speak like a fool for a minute, you know. So why do this? In many ways, we are not unlike other churches. That means we argue a lot about the color of the carpet, about the length of the worship songs or how loud they are or whatever. Who gets to lead and who doesn't? We're a bunch of people, right? And so who wants to lead? Why? Why Why would I do that? It's not that I needed a job. I was a Princeton-educated valedictorian. I'm speaking like a fool. I was a medical doctor, right, making plenty of money with a future ahead of me to take care of my family, to enjoy this great life God's given me. And even then, I said, well, I really want to serve God. I went overseas to Africa. Africa, Africa's cool. There are lots of people that need God and need the proclamation of the gospel. What in the world am I doing in Bellingham? What are we doing here in this little church with no air conditioning? What are we doing gathering around and being so imperfect and, you know, the sound doesn't work that great and things don't go? Why do this? Isn't it a valid question? Here's why. I'm convinced that it's needed here, that we have this message. The only way I know to show you the depth of this is to contrast it with what's out there. So as I talk today, please don't take me as 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 sort of dissing or somehow being negative on any of our brothers and sisters in town. I love our brothers and sisters in town. It's so amazing. But I'll tell you what, we stand for something. And it's it's maybe different than you think in some ways. And I want you to know. I want you to hear. I want you to be convinced. I want you to come back every time to worship with me around the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and and, and the, the wonder of it. What sets us apart is conviction we have on the truth of God's word, but there are many places in town that say, yeah, this is the truth of God's word. The argument is over what's the key bits? What's the center? What comes out of this middle piece? How does that impact you? And the answer, not the same. My conviction is we need to hear this again, the grace of God that has come in Christ and why he came and how he came and what it means for you and me. And 
all of these things. And, and I've been to many churches and I listen to many more online and it is very rare what you and I get to have here together. Our distinctives have been these three things. One is a high view of the Bible. The other is the absolute centrality of Jesus Christ, who he is. And the third thing is how you're saved. By grace alone, through faith alone. And almost as importantly, there we stop. The Bible, Jesus, and how you're saved. High Bible, Christology, Soteriology. Many churches say that, but we, we hold to it. And, and pretty much that's, that's the main thing. And you've got to think through the difference with me. And I invite you to do it today to be refreshed at this gospel. So I'm going to spend a little time. And the first is grace by trust. So if you're with me, you're like, of course, grace by trust, because trust is the word for faith. And you say, how are you saved? And every Christian that's a Christian, evangelical, would say, I'm saved by faith. I need to believe. And the best word for faith, I think, in our context and how we think, is trust. So so everybody kind of says it, but everybody I talk about Christianity, many times they're hearing a mixed message. And the more emphasis is really, yeah, you say grace by trust, salvation by faith. But then you hear a mixed thing. Most of the teaching you get is about how do you personally improve? There's emphasis on personal conduct, on self-improvement, on progress, on accomplishing commands. On, there's more of that than the gospel, the actual proclamation of the good news. The center core of the message of the Bible, what is it? Could you find it? Yeah, we can find it. Let me show you, right? Here's one in Romans 5, 6. It's what Jesus Christ has done for weak and lowly and lost and despicable sinners. God in his love for us, right? For while we were still sinners, Paul writes in Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I find myself in that, don't you? Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. What's the message? I'm ungodly, and the Bible spends lots of time developing that us lawbreakers, and then there's God's intervention. There's Jesus. Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, and he came to earth for us, and he lived and died, and he was crucified for us, and and it's all over, but let me give you some favorites. For by grace you've been saved through faith, through trust, right? This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. When we say we're saved, we know we don't save ourselves. Massive, huge, the emphasis, as Paul writes in Ephesians, on the gift of God, and the gift is something you're given. It falls into your lap. You unwrap it. It's a present for you. It's not Indian giving or some sort of thing where you give it, but you've got to give it back. It's not paying it forward. It's not doing any of those things. It's a gift where you receive. This is grace, and it's through faith and That's not some religious word. It's just trust. The message of the Bibles, don't trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus. Trust in what Jesus did, not what you do. Trust in his action, not yours. The trust is the best way to say that belief, right? I trust what Jesus did. He's done it, not me. I live by a promise. What's the promise? The promise of what Jesus said is true. 
You've heard these words. The difficulty is connecting them to how you live. You've heard this one for sure. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, your trust is in Jesus It's actual object of your trust. You're not just trusting like this general trust of God. You're trusting in Jesus, in what he is and who he is and what he's done. That's all. I like to say it this way. It's from a friend, but he said it this way too. He says, Jesus died for me and it worked. I say that because I, I I just went through this whole litany and probably you've heard it a thousand times. We've heard the gospel. You've heard Jesus died for you. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. We've heard that Jesus died for me. But you know what I forget? It worked. It's done. It's done a long time ago. That message of proclamation is our message, and we, we come out trying to get there functionally. Like, yeah, 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 Jesus died for me, but I'm, I'm trying desperately to, to climb. Climb what? Well, I want to make him happy with me. Now, the message is you're trusting him, not slowly turning the spotlight around so you're trusting you. Many of us have come out of that, of trying to get there functionally by being good people. Every religion does that. We've talked a lot about it. Buddhism does that. Hinduism does that. Mormonism does that. It's about your moral conduct. And so this this focus on can you emphasize conduct? Can you? And so we've come out of that. We've come out of a return to the law. We've come out of self-improvement. We've come out of self-reliance. We've come out of progress into the good news proclaimed that Jesus actually died for you and for me. And it worked. We proclaim Christ crucified, the victor over death and sin. He is a gift for you. Simple trust in him gets you everything. Grace by trust. Grace by trust, but you can't ever forget that it's for the broken. Right? Grace for the broken. We hold so strongly to this because this is where the battle is. For most of us, the battle is here. It's not in a recognition with our heads that Jesus did die on a cross thousands of years ago and it it was God come to earth for us. We get that, but we start to forget it's for the broken. We have to trust Jesus because there is no hope in us. We hope in Jesus because there's no hope in us. And again, so many people, well-meaning people, they want to take this trust and make it about you getting somewhere yourself. They, this is what, this is what happens. People want to take faith and make it visible. I want you to see faith. What's the thing that faith is? Not seen, right? Let me give you the Bible definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What do you hope for? I know what I hope for. I hope to never have anyone sin against me again, and I hope to never sin again. I want to stand clean. 
by trust. I have it. What does that mean? I don't see it now. It's the evidence of things not seen. And what people do is they kind of say, well, you know what? If you're a Christian, you should start seeing. Seeing what? What I'm hoping for? Then we can stop calling it faith. I can stop calling it trust and I can start calling it sight. I sure hope to be done with my sin. And the message that we hear so often in Christian circles is you can. You can see progress and improvement. And actually people even say it's stronger. If you don't, you, you're not actually a Christian. And, and that's the problem, right? The problem is we're more broken than we can understand in our flesh, in ourselves on this earth. But so many churches, I, I, I go, I go online, I, I see them. The, the, the purpose of the message is we're going to train people to love God and love people. You know, that's just a summary of the Mosaic Law. It's an excellent summary of the Mosaic Law. It's a fantastic, good thing that you would love God. It's a wonderful thing that you would love people. You should do it, you should do it, you should do it. Our problem is not with the goodness of the command or the wonder that you would be trained to do that. The difficulty is you don't. I know. We're broken. We're broken. It's fantastic that we would live that way and you ought to. And somehow we think that when we trust Jesus, now we do. That's not faith. That's sight. If I become something glorious. We teach people that some, boy, it was a pastor in town. Now he's at some school and the school's mission statements were teaching people to obey the great commandment. What's the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I could teach somebody to do that, they wouldn't need Jesus. What the law does is it puts a mirror in front of you and says, you stink, dude. Do that. Right? broken it's not it's not saying oh you, it's not a good thing that you might love god with all your heart you should but the the thing we stand on is that we don't so i have to have grace because i'm broken that that's the problem sin is bad but that's not the message of the bible that sin is bad and you need to not do it no i <laughs> you do realize that good advice about parenting and good advice about your marriage and good counsel about your finances. That's not the Christian message. I mean, those, those are good things. Tips on those things are, 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 are fantastic. Here, here's the message. Love your spouse. Love your kids. Be a good steward of your finances. Was that easy or what? Now I can give you five tips on being a good steward. Now I can give you 13 tips on being a good parent. I can give you 12 things to do as, as, and none of it has anything to do with the Christian message, which is what? You don't love your spouse. You don't love your kids. You don't take care of your finances as you ought to. Deal with it. How do I deal with it? Help Jesus. I trust Christ. He loves my spouse. He loves me. There's a change in focus, right, that comes with knowing that I'm the broken one. And American Christianity, somewhat reformed, conservative Christianity, we bought into this self-improvement stuff with a little help from Jesus, like he's a power tool. Man with a good chainsaw, I can cut lots of trees. Let's do this Bible thing. 
That's not the message. The message is you you can't. Self-glorification or self-righteousness, self-holiness accomplished with means given by God, like somehow they're, they're, they're things you can pick up and, and, and be better. You cannot pray enough. You cannot go to church enough. You cannot give enough. You can't serve enough to accomplish improvement in a way that's measurable by God. You won't be better. It's it's garbage to go down that line. It's a dead end. So we have to trust Jesus. He brings life. You know, there's this beautiful passage in John 11 that kind of summarizes this for me about Jesus talking. And it's when Jesus, he's talking to his dear friend's sister. His friend has died. You probably know the guy. His name's Lazarus. And there's, he's talking to Martha. And Martha's like, well, I wish you were here, Jesus. He wouldn't have died. But he's dead. And Jesus says this. He says to her, in John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? But Jesus, he's already dead. I mean, I, I don't have any trouble nor most of the time believing that, that yeah, Jesus is going to resurrect me and, and I'm going to go to heaven and, and this is the message as Jesus resurrects the dead and the resurrection is coming. But, but I, I stopped putting my actual hope there. Kind of like Martha did. She, she says back to Jesus, she says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I believe in the ever after. And so that's kind of like us. We get this salvation part out of the way, right? This prayer. And then we go to the let's get down to brass tax stuff. And, and trusting Jesus for life as a gift just doesn't cut it for us. In fact, in fact, though, they go and they go to see Lazarus. And Martha's comment is, uh, you, I don't think you want to see him. The guy stinks. It's the dead for four days thing, right? There's maggots already starting. And so this amazing call where Jesus Christ says to the dead person, Lazarus comes forth, and there's nothing that Lazarus does except respond to the call because he has to, and he comes out. That that's That's Christianity. Jesus Christ saves. Do you hear him? And if you're gathered in this place, then most likely you've heard him. He's our hope. Our only hope. That's the whole of it. We stink. Our hope is that Jesus calls us to life, that he resurrects us. We do nothing. And, and I love this. So many fall back into thinking this is, this is some, <laughs> let's look at Romans, Romans 5 again. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we see that and say, yes. I was a sinner and Christ died for me. And then we tack on this little bit um, on the condition that after a reasonable length of time, we would be the kind of people that no one would ever have had to die for in the first place. Otherwise, you know, the whole deal's off. That's where we go. I was bad, but over long effort and time and working, now I'm not as bad. I'm higher up than I was before. And I'm looking down at you poor slobs. I wish you would get here with me. Maybe I'm the only saved one. Never works. Never true. 
We all sin every day. If you think you don't sin, you're not hearing the Bible. You don't understand what's being said. And there's, there, uh, uh, again, this is in the water. I saw it in a church in town. So it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. First off, I did three loops saying, what in the world are they saying? But, but basically what they're saying is this, is that it's okay to be broken, but it's not okay to stay broken. Well, good luck with that. You are broken in you. The, 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 the life you're experiencing, you know, you know that, right? The Bible has no promises for you in the flesh. Jesus doesn't say he will make you stronger in your moral fiber day by day. He doesn't say he will conquer disease in your life today. He doesn't say that he will stay the passage of time so that you do not age. So that you do not die. I know it for a fact. We did a funeral a couple weeks ago for a dear Christian man. Served Jesus. Why did he die? It's not what it's about, right? It can't be what it's about. Those are bad things, by the way, right? Sin, disease, and death. There's no claim that they're good. You just say you don't escape them by yourself. Not even with a little help from the Holy Spirit. Like somehow you just get over it. Our hope is in the resurrection. It's not in a physical healing or a moral healing or steps toward greater holiness. Our whole hope is in the holiness brought by the blood of Christ. We live by promise and not by improvement. In fact, we, we, we go back towards thinking, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this thing. And then if it doesn't go away, hide. I want to show you. I showed this video five years ago. So this is like history of the church. So you probably totally remember, and I don't need to show it, but just because you might not remember, watch this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It's, thank you. Ow! Come on! If you would just don't try to see things. You get it, right? And and normally we think of that. Oh, there it is, guys and gals. I mean, guys wants to fix it. The gals like emote with me. But I, I want I want you to think about that for a minute. About what we're actually thinking, guys. 
as doing that. So I want to improve and I want to get rid of the nail. I want my marriage to get rid of the nails. I want to get rid of the nails in my wife or gals. I would love to get rid of the nails in my husband. We want to make things better. That's our focus. And I actually think it's very interesting to think through from the Bible's perspective. You don't stop sinning. I think the gal's really, really fascinating, interesting little thing because the reality is we are a congregation where we come around and say, yeah, I believe that I'm getting a resurrected body. I believe that sin will go away, but I don't believe that I can get the nail out. I don't believe it for you. That God has promised with enough, I don't know, the right prayers, enough of the right, that somehow you can get rid of that sin forever. Sometimes God does that. It's so amazing when he does. He takes a heroin addict and they get out of heroin. They need to. It's devastating and hard and terrible. Or he helps us over time because we want to and we work on them. That's all good. I'm talking about, it's not prompt. This is not the Christian life. We gather around knowing we're sinners and saying, you you know what you need to hear? In Christ, you're clean. I'm not clean. I got a nail in my head. No. No, by promise. It's coming. And you can start loving people because of that. You can start actually doing things because of that. That's life in light of the truth of the gospel, which doesn't say what I need to do is fix you. And our whole Christian life has become, how do we fix ourselves even? That's called self-improvement. Or how do I fix other people? That's often called progressive sanctification because essentially we've made sanctification mean goodness. I want to improve your goodness. Really, the word for the Bible in that is justification, which is righteousness, but we mix them up. That's that's the problem. You and I gather in this church, and we have for 10 years, around the hope, this is a hope, that we will have resurrected life, that you and I will be nail-free. We do not have it now, and we cannot get rid of it with argument and self-discipline and effort. The presentation of the Bible is that you continue to sin your whole life, and it does have effect on you, and it does have effect on your relationships, and we do need confession and forgiveness and absolution. We need these things because we keep sinning. The Bible knows it. Paul knows it, right? that this is good. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is Paul sort of pushing something really strongly. Listen to this, folks, he's saying to Timothy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. M is a present tense word. Paul didn't say of whom I was. Like I was really bad, but now I'm Paul. I was named Saul, but now I'm better. He writes this to his guys later in his ministry life to Timothy, saying, Timothy, hey, this is instructions for you. This is the truth. This is the heavy. The heavy is this. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, of who I am one. In fact, I'm the worst. And in my flesh, I go, no way is Paul the worst. Let me give you some other examples. (laughs) 
Whole swaths of the Bible is about this, right? It's about showing how bad we are, showing even God's chosen people didn't follow his commands. God was kind to them over and over and over. You get him almost like a prostitute. He's saying, oh, go back. I'll take you back and back and back because human beings, you don't do this. Why don't you? It's so reasonable that you would do these things that I tell you to do. They're not hard things, but you don't do them and you keep not doing them. And, uh, And then God sent his son. In the fullness of time. Not so people's response might be, okay, I'll start working on my heart. That's not the response. Our response is help, Jesus. We trust you. It keeps you humble. You stay realizing you're broken. Chief of sinners, yeah, Paul, I'll join you. We'll join the publican, right? Remember the publican in Luke 18? He goes and he doesn't say, Lord, I'll reform if you'll just be. He says, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. This is deep. Critical. It impacts how we think about our lives and other people's lives. And this is grace by trust. Grace for the broken. And just one more quickly. Grace into freedom. It's a big deal. It's not a big deal because somehow this is some novel idea. It's just a big deal because in our Christian churches, people put people back into bondage all the time. It's like we say, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then come on over and let me manipulate your life. And you're not to return to slavery. It's one of the things that's kept me here is I stay preaching because I stand against the message in the Bible in this area. Smart people, people I believe are good hearted, they put you back into bondage. It goes something like this. This is maybe you've heard it like this. It goes like this. You were a slave to sin, but now you have been freed. So now you're free not to sin. And this is the reality you live in, that you're now able not to sin. And this is what freedom is, the freedom not to sin. That's the freedom to take out the nail, right? Anybody with any observational insight into their life or other people's lives realize it's a bunch of baloney because everybody sins still. So there's the experiential part, but set apart the experiential part for a minute. It's snake oil. It's not the real problem. The real problem is we disconnect the incredible message of the Bible. We disconnect it from life. And, and, and here, here in this body, we're trying to reconnect it. And that trusting Jesus doesn't mean you sin less. It means your sin is forgiven. There's a world of difference. Freedom doesn't mean you're now bound not to sin anymore. What Jesus did was actually free you from the world, from the ladder, from the law. It's not pie in the sky. It's really central. Paul hasn't said to you and me, think how it would be if there were no condemnation. And if you could just get there, then, 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 oh, you can have a few days of peace before reality pushes in on you again. Paul has said there's therefore now no condemnation. I like how one pastor puts it. He he says this. He says, um, he has not said God has done this, that, and the other thing. And if your imagination, you can pull it together, you might be able to experience a little solace. He has simply said you are free. Your services are no longer required. The salt mine has been closed. Look at the passage with me. This is Galatians 5. 
It says in verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again, you say, well, you know, what he's talking about is, boy, you've been freed from sinning and now you don't have to. No, the context is totally different. The context of Galatians 5 is, is, is you've been freed from Mount Sinai. What's Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. The law of Moses. The things that said, this is, do these and live. It's on you, you know, I've made a covenant with you that if you do these things, and so the, the weight is on, I, this is my responsibility to do these things, and I've got to do them. And now it says you've been freed. I closed it. Salmite's closed. He's not talking about being set free from slavery to doing bad things so that now you're free to love God and do good things. He's talking about being set free from, from, from the law, from the Ten Commandments, from that whole system. In fact, he gets strong, right? He says it clearly in verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. <laughs> Do you get it? Do you see? What I'm doing is actually waiting for the hope of goodness that's coming. What's that hope? Jesus is coming back. I'm getting resurrected. Not I'm climbing the ladder. You're free for freedom's sake, not to be told to return to bondage. You're free for freedom, not free to fix yourself, not free to now go be a missionary like that's the highest thing you can do, though missionaries are fantastic. I was one. Trust Jesus. Stay humble and be free. Free to be you. Free to do the things that's in your heart. Right? We trust it's finished. We trust that Jesus has us. And, and we have to remind ourselves because the world wants to take that away from us. But that's what I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus. So I'm free to be free with this outside of me salvation. And you are too. Free to study the Bible. Free to read a novel. I like Elie de Modesset. If you've never read him, he's really fun. Well, why is he Christian? I don't know. Well, you better know. Why? Because I'm not sure you're free. Well, exactly. Are you free? Free to go on a cruise and look at creation. Free to help a little old lady cross the street. Because you know what? Your time, you don't have to make sure you maximize every moment of your day to make sure you give glory to God the maximum blade that you can. Why? Everything you're doing is about your freedom. Free to raise kids, free to play soccer, free to go to a baseball game. I don't know why you ever would. Those are boring. But you may really like it. You're free to do that even if I say it's boring, right? That's called freedom. And and knowing that all these things, God in Christ has you. Your life isn't wasted. Your life is not in vain. There's no time crush to accomplish something great for Jesus. There's only Jesus who has you. And by the way, you're also free to have different doctrinal ideas. And we're free to explore the Bible and have actual thoughts and actual opinions that might not match up with mine. You're free. We're different people and we have these different ideas. And here we all have this central core that can't be moved. What is it? Jesus in Christ. He, he's got me. Jesus died for me and it worked. Done. Stay here, Paul writes. 
diversity of action, diversity of thought, directly connected to the trust we have in this message that Jesus died for you and me and it worked. And if you stay here, Paul writes, you're walking by the Spirit because this is the testimony of the Spirit. And whatever you do is great because you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. But if you don't, if you go back to imposing, we should all be doing this good work. Everybody should only be doing this. Don't you dare do anything else. Then we start imposing on people. That's called working by the flesh. You'll devour each other, says Paul. You're leaving freedom. Okay, there's more distinctions on these lines we can make, but we're going to end today. But I just want to say, this is where we get things like distinguishing between law and gospel. Things like thinking at the same time, I'm broken and a sinner, and I'm totally sin-free in Christ, because that's by promise and trust that he has me, and sin will not reign over me anymore. There's these distinctions to be made, but I'm telling you today, you need to hear this for our church. We have grace by trust. Trust in what Jesus has done. We have grace for the broken, and we remain broken. Our hope is in Jesus, and we have grace into freedom. That that action comes out of the gospel. It's not a return to the rules. The issue becomes that you and I over and over need to hear the gospel because you don't trust it. You need reminding. You need to confess again you're a sinner. You need to receive the assurance that Jesus died for you, and it really did work. Maybe you hear this today and you say, well, I just don't know. So I'd ask you, do you do you really believe that you're making faith sight right now? by the things you do so people see the great goodness that you have, that you are? Do you think that people respond to covered up sin or to humility? Do do you think that you're better now or do you think that you will die and be resurrected? Do you think that your your relationship with God is dependent on how well you do or on what Jesus has done? We will stand, you see, on Jesus alone and we trust that he died for us and it worked. Let me close with this in 1 Peter 3. This is about our testimony to the world. And he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy He is totally set apart. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. That's not talking about six-day creation. That's not talking about defending Genesis 2. That's talking about your hope. What's your hope today? That Jesus died for me and it worked. Have a, be ready for a reason for that. The people say, ooh, why are you so hopeful? Well, let me just tell you, it's not because I'm being good today. It's not because I'm, I'm, I'm conquering in my marriage. It's not because my kids are shining like stars in the heavens with all the good things they're, can I share with you? My kid is at Princeton and they're doing so good. There's my hope. No, no, no. It's all about the hope that's in you. What's that? Jesus died for me and it worked. I've got this gift. And it's promised to me in this book from God. That's ready to give a defense for the actual hope that we have that's in us. Not church self-improvement. It's we saying that Christ died and it works. This maggot bag is going down to die. It is not my hope. My hope is I will yet live. That Jesus Christ will call me forth and that I will rise. Resurrection. 
Jesus Christ died for us. And it worked. Let's pray.